If in this moment you're thinking that you don't care what people think of you. If in this moment you're thinking that you've never wanted to be famous. If in this moment you're thinking that popularity means very little to you. I'm sorry to say that you're wrong. This is something that everybody wants. But many people lie to themselves about how much it actually means to them. Before you reject what I'm saying, let me just present my case. How did it feel when you were a child and you did something embarrassing and everybody laughed at you? How did it feel when you got a new job with an important sounding title and you added it to your LinkedIn profile so everybody could see that you had an important sounding title? How did it feel? when you took that job, and then nobody cared what you did. Nobody celebrated anything that you did, where your efforts were minimized every single day, where you were invisible, and you stood up from your desk, and you walked to the bathroom, and you stared at yourself in the mirror, and then you went into a stall, and you locked yourself up in that stall, and you didn't poop, and you didn't cry. You just sat there in silence, protected by the walls, protected by the silence. Protected from that physical pain that comes when others make you feel invisible. How did it feel when you won a prize or a scholarship or any other acknowledgement that your work and your identity in your life was worthy of celebration? How did it feel when you got to tell other people that you won that prize, that you won that recognition? You desire validation. I desire validation. You want to be seen. I want to be seen. You want other people to notice and applaud and celebrate your talents, and I want the same thing. It isn't narcissism. It isn't a desire for fame. It isn't a hunger for power or influence or material things. It's a natural human urge that we all carry and we all deny that we actually care about. Let's talk about a fascinating psychological exercise by Dr. Mark Leary, a leading researcher of human psychology. Dr. Leary sought to dig deep into our innate need to be loved by everybody. Dr. Leary recruited two types of people. People who claimed to care a lot about what everybody else thought of them and people who claimed to care very little. He placed them all in individual rooms by themselves with nothing but a large digital screen that displayed a single digit number from one to seven. He told them that that number reflected the reaction of an audience on the other side of the glass. There were people listening to them. And if they liked what they heard, the number would go up. And if they didn't like what they heard, the number would go down. Then he asked each of his subjects to share the story of their lives. But the trick <laughs> was that there was no audience behind that glass. <laughs> There's nobody there. Dr. Leary increased and decreased the numbers at random just to analyze each subject's reaction, their heart rate, their vocabulary, their volume, the content of the words that they spoke. Imagine yourself in the same situation, talking about yourself and your life story and some of the greatest things that have happened to you and then seeing a number that tells you that nobody cares, <laughs> that it's boring, that there's nothing interesting about it. How do you think? that you would react. What do you think Dr. Leary found from this exercise? What do you think the difference was between people who cared and people who didn't? There was no discernible difference. Everybody got equally nervous. Everyone made changes to their story. Everybody stuttered. Everybody's pulse went up. Everybody cares. So out of this experiment, Dr. Leary invented this term, the sociometer. It's like an internal compass 
always evaluating if the people around you, the people you want to impress, think well of the things you're doing. If you're getting respect, if you're worthy of praise, if they're applauding your decisions and your life experiences, if you are accepted. This system inside you detects immediately when that social acceptance goes down in the subtlest of ways. And when it senses a decrease in social acceptance, it triggers a biological response. Shame, depression, anxiety. It's an alarm that tells you something's wrong. You're not accepted. Change who you are. Change what you want. Change what you're doing. So you're accepted again. And you go through this exercise and you don't realize that you're doing it. And you think all the changes are triggered by you. That you want all the changes you're making. That it's not about the other people, but it is. Until you gain the acceptance of some group, whatever group, majority or minority, until you're validated by a community, whatever community, and you have friends and acceptance and applause and celebration and recognition once again. Everybody has a sociometer. Actually, that's not true. Most people have a sociometer. The people who don't are known as psychopaths. Why do you think that is? Where does this sociometer come from? Picture the earliest humans. No shoes, no shelter. No ability to find food without the help of a larger team. A larger team of friends with shared objectives. Through evolution, genes that favored cooperation, social skills, the ability to be liked by others, and the ability to change your own behavior when you're not liked by others, and the desire to be liked at all times by all people. The genes that created these traits spread through our species. Why? Because humans who had those genes found more mates reproduced themselves more, and survived more often because they had friends and because they belonged to a community. The sociometer is a biological trait key to our survival exactly like opposable thumbs. A biological trait that became a staple of who we are that many thousand years later everybody has. And as our lives became more and more complex, as we learn how to plan our own food and store it for the winter and design tools and build our houses and organize our communities, resting on a foundation of moral laws that supported cooperation and the obligation to contribute to the survival of the entire community. The communities that had those traits, those moral laws, those religions, and those governments, entire communities that policed themselves and made sure that everybody followed the rules, whatever those rules might have been, those communities were better able to defend themselves. The communities that had these traits survived. The communities that didn't disappeared. And today, every community has a moral code and all the things we now think are normal. They are features of evolution. They're part of our brains. We didn't just develop genes that favored the need to be liked. We developed genes that favored the need to judge everybody around us, to criticize them if they don't follow the rules, to shame them when they're not following the rules. We judge everybody around us by their ability to conform to the norms of our community, whatever that community may be, your country, your neighborhood, your artist bohemian crowd, your minority, your majority. When you're part of a community, you don't just change yourself to its rules. You judge others who are not doing it effectively. Clear rules of right and wrong. Clear punishments for those who violate them. And that is a universal feature of all communities. Now let's make an important point before we go on. Because it's an obvious feature of this debate 
and because it needs to be said. There's nothing negative about this. Some of these rules make a lot of sense, and they're very obvious. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't harm others. Do not rape. Those are good rules. Those foment peaceful, harmonious communities. It is easy to understand why people who don't follow them should be shamed should be punished, should be criticized. There's nothing wrong with morals or codes or rules guiding a community. Some of those rules will make a lot of sense, but some of those rules will make no sense at all. And yet they're enforced in the exact same way, with the exact same strength, with the exact same degree of shame and ridicule for people who don't follow them. People who follow their missions choose paths that are outside what most people think is normal, smart, strategic, adult, expected, and they all do it in different ways. Whatever your path entails and whatever process you need to follow, many, if not most of your decisions are gonna violate your own sociometer. You're gonna feel the anxiety. You're gonna feel the sadness that comes when most people don't believe in you. The depression that comes when many people criticize you, make fun of you, think that you're not normal, and you will have to remember that the anxiety these situations create is not real. It's just a feature of your evolutionary brain, just like your opposable thumbs. Of course, this is not the end of the audio. I just showed you a small sample of a project I've been working on all year based on a numerology formula and built as a collection of special audios that are gonna help you go after your dreams. I'm ready to help you define how to get the five ingredients of happiness that I mentioned in the email. Make an action plan, set a deadline, and finally just bring them into your universe as you've always deserved. If you like this audio, if you wanna hear more, I'm gonna send you more information next Thursday. Godspeed from Andrew Gabalich and Teledipity. I'll see you in a week.